just a joy this morning because it's my privilege to lead us in the second half of Romans chapter 3, which is really the turning point of the book. And you know, we've had, I don't know how many weeks, two and a half chapters where we've been, it's just been difficult content. But this morning, everything changes. So far, we've talked so much about unrighteousness, but this morning now, we move from this unrighteousness to righteousness, which is a prominent theme in the rest of the book. And it's so uplifting, and we do have a hope of righteousness, but it's not what we typically think of. And so that's our focus this morning, and Paul just articulates the gospel well in this second half of chapter 3. And it's all about moving from unrighteousness to righteousness and how God enables us to do that. So before we go further, let me just define righteousness. I think it's important that we all have a, a common understanding here. So to be righteous means to be morally pure, to be just, to be right. And so if someone is righteous, they are all these things. There's no impurity in them, so there's no impure motives. They only do what is just. They never treat people with uh, unfairly or unjust, unjustly. And everything they do is right. They can't be accused of not being right because they're righteous in everything. The problem is, as Paul has taught us for two and a half chapters, there is no one righteous, not even one. This was summarized very clearly in the first half of chapter 3 last week for us. There is no one righteous. All have turned away and together become worthless, Paul says. So we're not righteous. Um, there is one who is righteous, and that is God alone. And so this kind of just shows our, our problem here. If God is righteous, if he is this, uh, epitomizes this standard of rightness because he's morally pure and he's just, and no human being is righteous, then we live under his wrath and his condemnation. And we can't accuse him of being unjust in that. That is very just. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. If God were to just say, I'm going to overlook human sin, it's not, we're just not going to go there. We'll just kind of brush that away and we'll overlook it. He would compromise his justice, which he can't do because he's righteous. He's right in everything. And so this, we have this big problem. But God is not only righteous and morally pure, and he's also loving. And he loves us so much that he's like, I'm not content to let this huge separation between himself and humanity and so he approaches us with a fix for this problem that we cannot fix. And that is what we call the gospel of Jesus. And Paul's done such a great job in these chapters as well of our, as our teaching team has um, to just help us understand our unrighteousness. We're too steeped in it. We can't fix it. And we've quoted this a couple times already, but the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, 6 says, even the righteous deeds are as filthy rags before me, God says. So even when we think we're doing rightly and doing righteous things, God still knows that comes from an impure heart. We're not morally pure. We're not right in all we do. And so the only fix for the problem had to be at God's initiative. But praise God, we're ready to turn the corner now in this series. And God did provide for us. We call that the gospel. And it's all gospel from here on out, folks, through the rest of Romans. Not that there's not some hard sections, but it is all gospel moving forward. 
It's all about the hope of righteousness that we have because of Jesus Christ. So I want to read it for you now, the second half of Romans 3. We'll start with verse 21. And I, I love the first two words. It, it's transitioned from everything we've studied for two and a half chapters. It says, but now. But now. All this context of unrighteousness and our depravity and our sin. And Paul says, but now, apart from the law, so it doesn't have anything to do with the law, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So the Old Testament, the Scripture, points to the righteousness of God, but the law and the prophets can never make us righteous. That was never God's intent. That was never a design. It was never going to be that way. They just point to and declare the righteousness of God, the rightness of God, that He is morally pure, just, and right in all He does. Verse 22, this righteousness from God is given. Let me pause there again. It's given. It's not by merit. No one earns the righteousness of God. If we are righteous in God's sight, it's because He chose us to give it to us. This righteousness is given, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then Paul underscores this word all. He says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether you had the law and the prophets or not, you've still sinned and you fall short of God's glory. But just like everybody's fall short, so both Jew and Gentile are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles too? Yeah, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Father God, would you open our hearts now to just uh, teach us what all this means and that we have a certain hope of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this incredible gift, God. And help us understand it this morning and to remember it that we might simply receive the goodness of what you've given us in Christ. And may this be for His glory. Amen. All right, we're going to build another picture for you this morning. This one's going to be more complex than what we had last week. It's going to start with God. And this is on the back of your bulletins, so I'd encourage you to take your pen, pencil, and just kind of fill out, kind of draw this picture on your bulletin as we go. This is, if you will, kind of a picture of the gospel. And it starts with God. God is righteous. As we said, God alone is morally pure. God alone is perfectly just and right. We can't accuse God of not ever being right 
or of being unjust or doing things from some impure motive. That's just not him. He is the standard of rightness. He himself is righteousness. So if anyone else desires to be righteous, they have to be like God. They have to be like God, or you're not righteous. And if you fail in any one point, you're not righteous. So that's our challenge. So the gospel begins with God and the righteousness of God. Now here's what we've learned. These next couple screens are a review uh, by what we've learned. We learned early on in this series that the Jews took the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, and they thought if they lived according to those law and prophets that they could be righteous. And so they tried as hard as they could to live according to the law. In order, It was their attempt at being righteous. And so they wrote a bunch of other laws, addendums, if you will, to God's law, because they said, well, we're not really sure what this means. What does it mean to, break the, to, to uh, not work on the Sabbath? So they wrote all kinds of rules about what it meant to work and what wasn't work. And their goal in that was to make themselves righteous. In, it's not just the Jews, it's also Gentiles. The next screen, we see in Romans 1, you remember we talked about what's called general revelation, where it says what may be known about God is plain to everyone because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's eternal qualities, are, are, uh, His divine power, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made so that people are without excuse. So just like the Jews said, we got the law and the prophets, so everybody has God's revelation in general revelation. We can all know the righteousness of God in some measure. And then in chapter 2, Paul talked about conscience and said if our consciences were pure and we lived according to that, we could fulfill the demands of the law. But the problem is our consciences aren't pure. And so why, why Jews lived according to the law and the prophets, kind of we in the Gentile world, we, we kind of try to be righteous in this way. Do you know what we call a study of general revelation? Anybody? Science. General revelation is what God has made. It's the creation. When we study creation, we're studying general revelation. Now, our scientists don't call it that, but that's what science is. It's trying to figure out general revelation, what God has made around us. And we think if we can just increase our knowledge, if we can get smarter, we can live rightly. And we can take care of the problems on our planet. We just need better science. And we can take care of things called viruses if we just have better science. And so we put our trust in our understanding of general revelation. Or conscience is very popular in our day. This is where we get in touch with our inner self. And what my conscience tells me to do, that's right for me. Whether you think it's right for you or not, doesn't matter. You've got to embrace my rightness, and I'm supposed to embrace your rightness. Because we're trying to live out of our conscience. It's the same problem, though, as Jews tried to live according to the law and the prophets tried to make themselves righteous. So we try to make ourselves righteous by our knowledge and by living according to our own heart. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's because we have a universal problem, whether we're Jew or Gentile. Now, before we go on to that, I want to I really want you to remember this picture this morning, and I want you to remember the different slides of it. And so we're going to do something that's unequivocally cheesy, 
but I want to ask you to participate in it. I don't do this as much anymore. I used to do it a lot when I was in youth ministry. And if you're in education, if you're a teacher or you've studied this, you know that when uh, someone is presenting some material, you're trying to teach somebody, the best way to help them remember that is to appeal to multiple senses. That's why we use audiovisual stuff. You're listening to me now. That's one sense you're hearing me. A second one is if you can see it, if you can see it pictorially, you've got a better shot at remembering it. If you hear the passion in my voice, hopefully that appeals to your heart. You've got another shot of remembering it. And if you involve your hands, you've got an even better shot at remembering it. So I know it's cheesy, I know, and, and some of you are smiling, some of you are laughing, some of you are rolling your eyes. You eye rollers get involved. Just, just go with me. All right, so we're going to do some motions for each of these significant screens. And the first one, we're just going to do this. Because we try to be righteous by doing all this stuff. For Jews, it was we got to do what the law says and the prophet says. For Gentiles, it's like we got to live according to our own inner self and we've got to learn more in science. And if we just keep doing stuff and keep learning stuff, we'll attain righteousness. But if you do that long enough, it just kind of wears you out. It wears us out spiritually. All this doing, that's the problem, is that we try to become righteous ourselves. And this is really the original evil in the universe. You can read Ezekiel 28 where it talks about Satan, the father of all wickedness and evil. And it said that he wanted to be like God. And in Isaiah 14, it tells even more about that. He wanted to raise his throne above the stars of God. He wanted to be righteous like God, but he wanted to do it of his own free will and volition. We try to do the same thing. We want to be righteous according to what we do. Brother Nashwan, when we were developing this picture in our team prep, I don't know, a few weeks ago, Nashwan said, it seems like we're not willing to embrace the gospel because that's just too easy. Seems like we want to take the hard way and we feel we have to do attain righteousness of our own effort and so we do all these different things. And every religion kind of has its set of things that I have to do from Islam to Judaism to Hinduism to all of them. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work because our next screen shows that we are anchored by sin. That's why it doesn't work. We can try to be good and righteous and do all these good things, but we will never attain the righteousness of God because we are anchored by sin. And we can't fix that. Our problem is too great to fix. But the more we try to attain righteousness on ourselves, the more we miss the solution of God. And so it's just folly because of our sin. So that's our second motion. It's just folly because of our sin. It doesn't work. So let's do the two of them together. We try to be righteous through doing all these things, either living law or prophets or conscience or having more knowledge. We try to be righteous. We're wearing ourselves out. And this is all just folly because of our sin. It doesn't work. We'll never attain God's standard of rightness. Not going to work. All right, that's review, kind of where we've been in this series. And I promise you this is a turning point now. But now a righteousness from God has been revealed. Next screen. That righteousness of God comes to us by the grace of God. 
We've shown it graphically here as a cross with an arrow on the bottom. It comes down to us. Verse 21, the righteousness of God is being revealed from heaven. The righteousness of God has come to us. Paul said that in chapter 1. He says it here again in chapter 3. God is making his righteousness known to us. So we know it through the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets testified of God's righteousness. General revelation testifies of God's righteousness. Our consciences, if they're pure, tell us we are short of God's righteousness. But none of these things make us righteous. We can't live according to the law and expect to be righteous. We can't just get smarter with science and expect to be righteous. We're just smarter. That doesn't make us right. We can't attain this righteousness of God. Now, when this grace comes to us, we also receive something amazing. We're just going to show it kind of as an umbrella. If you go to the next screen, fill these words in in your bulletin there. God, the righteousness of God has been revealed. It's been revealed in Christ. And this becomes this umbrella of righteousness for us. So we're going to show this with our motions like, like this. We're going to do, make a pinky cross. All right, everybody make a finger cross, not a pinky cross. Make a, make a finger cross. There it is. And then what comes to us in the cross is this umbrella of righteousness. So we're going to pick your arms up. Cross through which we get all these things. All right, let's do the three motions so far. We try to be righteous, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, and we circle back, and we try it again until we get kind of tired of this, and you're not enjoying this. Well, that's how it is. We're wearing ourselves out spiritually, and this is folly because of sin. But God moves towards us in His grace of the cross, providing for us this umbrella of righteousness that's full of all these good things. Now look at these definitions at the bottom of your... um, your, your bulletin there. In this umbrella, as God pours His righteousness on us, we are justified. Justification is to be restored to rightness in God's sight. So when we say we're justified, it's we are restored to being right in God's sight. God declares us righteous. That's what justification is. God declaring us righteous. Wow, how does that happen? Because we can't attain righteousness of ourselves. We know that. Secondly, there's redemption here. Paul refers to these things. If if you look at, if you got your text open, um, he he mentions um, this. He talks about justification in um, verse 24. He talks about redemption in verse 24. And so we're trying to define all these for you. Redemption is deliverance from God's just punishment by Jesus paying the penalty for our sin. Because God's justice, His righteousness requires that any offense against Him like sin has to be paid for. If God just said, we'll ignore that, we'll just forget about that sin thing that you all got going on, He wouldn't be just. He would violate His justice and He wouldn't be righteous in the first place. So that doesn't work. We can't just forget about our sin. God can't just cancel and say, oh, never mind, it's okay. Try better the next time. (laughs) That violates his justice. Redemption is when the penalty has been paid, satisfying God's justice. And so some people describe redemption as God buying us back because our sins took us from him. But if somebody pays the penalty of our sins or that penalty is paid for, God can buy us back. 
And then the actual price, you can think of that as this word atonement that Paul uses. The actual payment, the actual price of Jesus Christ's suffering that restores humans to fellowship with God. That's what we mean by atonement. So God uses Jesus' sacrifice of atonement. It's like that's the, that's the penalty that was paid to allow God to buy us back, that we might be justified freely by His grace. Next is then justice. We've got that defined for you. Justice is God's faithful administration of His kingdom in accordance with His righteousness. So... Again, God can't just overlook this. This whole picture is really that. God living out His justice according to His righteousness. And then we have a very important term at the bottom there called imputed righteousness. And we're going to have more on this next week. The word impute, a good synonym, is to credit. And in chapter 4, there's an illustration of this picture that's the life of Abram in the Old Testament. And it said in, in both Genesis and here, the, the word says Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham gained this umbrella of righteousness, but not by his own effort. And we know that because Abraham wasn't a particularly godly guy. He had some struggles, if, if you recall, in that story. So as we read, as we get in and study Romans 4, it's a beautiful illustration that by faith, righteousness was credited to him and we call that imputed righteousness it's god crediting the righteousness of christ to sinners who by faith trust in christ it becomes like this umbrella over top of us and so jesus christ in his work on the cross satisfies all the requirements of god's righteousness therefore allowing us to gain that righteousness or to come in to him that righteousness of God is given to those who respond by faith. Let's do the next screen. It's not about trying to make ourselves righteous. That will fail. That's folly, as we've said in our hand motions. The way we receive the righteousness of Christ, the way we come under that imputed righteousness is by faith. It's just, I just move over. I believe that Jesus did this on the cross. I believe that all these things are mine by faith. And I just simply move over to a new position in Christ where I'm not trying to attain righteousness by my own effort. I realize I can't do that. So instead I give that up and I embrace faith that brings me into the very person of Christ in a very mystical way so that his righteousness covers me. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30 is true when it says he has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And we sing about these things in our choruses. That Jesus is our redemption. He is our righteousness. We receive that or we come into it by faith. Not by human effort. Now, what's required? What, what, what does this faith mean? Well, um, it follows repentance. Repentance and faith are really two sides of one coin. Repentance simply means to change mind or direction. It's a change of mind or purpose. So we're going to show it like this. Next screen gets a little messy here, but you know, you can only put so much on a picture. So it gets a little, little messy, but this is what it is. Instead of I'm trying to be righteous by my own effort, I'm going to change my direction, change my mind, stop doing that, and I'm going to repent to faith. 
realizing that my external behaviors is never going to make me righteous. My only shot at righteousness is faith to trust in Jesus and come under this umbrella of his righteousness. So that's our next motion. After the umbrella, we're going to do this. We're going to repent to faith. And and you want to point to your heart. Because it's not about what I do externally. It's about what I believe internally. All right, let's do them all. You ready? Some of you still have a really bad attitude and you haven't moved your hands one time yet. And your hands are so tightly folded on your lap that your knuckles are white. I can see it from here. So come on now. Have a little fun. Loosen up. Here we go. We try to be righteous. And oh, we try so hard. And even if we know the gospel, sometimes we forget and we think, well, I've got to do certain things or God won't honor me. And so I'm trying to be righteous. But that's folly. Because there's no one righteous, not even one. But praise God that now a righteousness from God has been revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ that provides for me this umbrella covering of righteousness. And now I can have the opportunity to repent, to faith, and move into the righteousness of Christ. Mm. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now this faith does not mean passivity. This faith does not mean I just stop trying. Forget about it. It's not about my righteous deeds anyway, so I'm just going to believe in Jesus and ha, I can do whatever I want. It's not that passivity. Here's why I say that. Um, The people that Jesus was teaching in John chapter 6 one day, somebody asked a really great question from the crowd. And they said, Lord, tell us, what must we do to do the works that God requires? person was no doubt thinking, what have I have to do yet that I haven't done? (laughs) Just give me one more thing or a couple lists. I don't want to miss anything. What do I have to do to be righteous? And Jesus said, the work of God is this. And let me pause there. If you're an engineer or you've studied physics, you know that the, the, the term in physics, work, means like a dispensing of energy that affects things. It causes change. So we can quantify the amount of work based on a lot of principles in physics. So when we work, there's a dispensing of energy that creates something different. And Jesus used that word. He said, the work of God is this. If you want to do God's work, what is going to please God more than anything, the work of God is this to, anybody say it, to believe in the one he sent. To believe. So this doesn't mean passivity. It just means If the picture was still, you can look at your own picture because you've drawn it now. There it is. Thank you. The screen guys are fantastic this morning jumping around here. It just means I decide, I know this isn't going to work. So I'm going to stop that. I'm going to repent to faith. And I'm going to put the energy that I used to put into trying to create my own righteousness. I'm going to translate that energy into the energy of building my faith. Because the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And my only, only, only shot at coming under the righteousness of Christ is by faith. So I'm going to stop all this, and I'm going to transpose that energy into building up my faith. That's why we read Scripture. That's why you come here. That's why we listen to sermons. That's why we read books about the gospel, because we're trying to nurture our faith that we can respond to the gospel by faith, not by trying to do more righteous things. This is what Paul describes in Philippians 3, and before I read this, let me frame it. Paul was a Pharisee. 
which meant he was an expert in living according to the law and the prophets. And what the Pharisees tried to do was to attain perfection independently of God. That's not possible. They thought it was. And so Paul's statement that we're going to read in Philippians 3 is a great statement of repentance, of turning from, I'm trying to do all these things to be righteous, to realizing those things are worthless when it comes to righteousness. The only thing that counts is faith. Here it is, Philippians 3. Whatever were gains to me, and by that Paul means all those righteous things I was doing or those good things that I was doing thinking I was righteous, he says, I now consider those lost for the sake of Christ. They didn't do any good at all. What's more, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. So I think he's saying whether it's law, prophets, conscience, science, I consider it all a loss compared to knowing Christ. I consider them garbage, and that's a nice translation of that word in the original Greek, and I won't go there. Really, that's a very nice translation of the word that... Yeah. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found... Our picture went away. And be, leave it here, you're good. And be found in Him under that umbrella. I can be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ alone. Mm. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Now, here's an awesome thing that happens. When you, by faith, come into Jesus Christ and you gain this position under the umbrella of His righteousness, and He becomes for you your righteousness, holiness, and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30, God then gives you a gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, if you want to jot that down, you can read that. It talks about when you first believed, God gave you this gift of the Holy Spirit as a seal, guarantee, as a deposit, guaranteeing what He's given you in this umbrella. And so just think of this. You, let's go back now to the, to the full umbrella picture. Here it is. So by faith, You put the effort, the intentionality of your spiritual life into believing, and when you believe, you come under this umbrella of righteousness. God now declares you righteous. Now He gives you this gift. You are in Him, and now He pours Himself into you by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is nothing more than the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of God the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you come into Jesus, and God pours Him into you. And so Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. And so this is relevant now to one last text here, Romans 3.31, the last verse of our chapter says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? In other words, Paul's saying, okay, we're righteous by faith. Do we just throw out the law? doesn't matter anyway. No. He says, rather, we uphold the law. What does he mean by that? Stay tuned. That's the rest of the series, pretty much. But here's how it works. I come under Christ. I'm in Him. He declares me righteous. And then He injects into me His Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I want to live righteously. 
not to earn righteousness, not to earn favor with God, but because God has changed me and he's poured his rightness into me. So now I have a clue what it means to be right. And I want to live that way. Because the Spirit of Jesus is in me, compelling me. Think of it this way. Um, If you want one sentence that tries to clarify all this, it's, we do good things because we're saved in Christ, not in order to be saved. And that's the difference. If I'm trying to be righteous by doing all these things independent of God, I'm just finding myself farther from Him. But when I'm saved by faith that receives the grace and brings me into Christ Jesus and He injects His Spirit into me, then I want to do things because I'm saved, because I am in Christ, because I'm already declared righteous. Huge difference. So more of this in Romans 6, 7, 8, 12, 13, 14, 15. (laughs) It's all coming, all right? Today's a big turning point, but it's just the beginning of the gospel. And the rest of this book is going to teach us how to live out that gospel. But when we realize this, when we are in Christ, and He is in us, it changes everything, doesn't it? Now that annoying person you work with, instead of judging them as they are so wicked and they are so mean and they are so unrighteous, no kidding, everybody is. Now all of a sudden, because Christ is in you and you're under his umbrella of righteousness, you look at that person through a different lens. It's like, wow, that person, they're still trying to live out their own righteousness. They need Jesus. Changes how you parent your kids. I'm not suggesting passivity again. I'm not suggesting a lack of discipline that's, oh, it's okay, honey. No, no, no. Hebrews 12 teaches us very clearly that properly executed discipline is a loving thing and extremely necessary when it comes to our children. But we do that under grace, under an umbrella of grace. We know our kids are never going to meet the standard of our righteousness, let alone God's. You can make all the rules you want in the house. They aren't going to keep them. We can't. We're unrighteous to the core. So we proclaim gospel to them. We show them the right standards. We show them the right ways to live. And when they fail, we may have to discipline them, but we forgive them and we love them and we teach them about how to really become righteous. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's ought to change your marriage. Some of you wives are glad that you're saved by grace and you're under this umbrella of the righteousness of Christ. And you wouldn't say this, but sometimes it may seem to your husband like even though you're under grace, you expect him to live by works of the law. You expect him to be perfectly righteous in all he does towards you. He's never going to get that right, girls. Same way with us, men. Don't be going, ha, ha, ha. Look what he said to you, wifey. I think Brother Clark talked about a mirror maybe a few weeks ago. Look in the mirror. No one is righteous. We're certainly not. What right do you have, husband, to demand that your wife serve you while you lay on the couch? You're not righteous, nor is she. There's only one who's righteous. We get there by faith. Let's nurture each other's faith. 
let's redirect the energy of a demanding spirit on our wives and on our husbands to say, how can I nurture faith in you? Because that's what's going to bring you under the righteousness of Christ. It changes everything when we realize this. When we get in Jesus and Jesus gets in us, everything changes. And here's our last motion. We want to live for the glory of Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah. So let's do it all from the edge here, all right? Try to be righteous. You're all going to be so limber by the time you go home this afternoon. We try to be righteous through law, prophets, through learning more about science, through trying to be true to our inner self. We do all this. Keep it up. Come on, some of you are caving. We try to be righteous, and it's exhausting. We're just wearing ourselves out spiritually because sin is folly. It's just foolish for us to try to do that. We're just wearing ourselves out. But when we recognize the righteousness of God has been revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ and that provides for us an umbrella of His righteousness, holiness, and redemption, we can repent to faith. And faith wells up in our hearts as a gift of God and allows us to move into and under the protective umbrella of Jesus Christ. And then we're given a gift of the Holy Spirit that compels us from the inside out to want to live for His glory. And that is the gospel. Amen? Come on. Yeah. Is that crazy news or what? And it doesn't work any other way. It it really doesn't. There's no other way to satisfy God's justice, His righteousness, to take care of our sin problem, and to change us so we can actually live for the glory of Jesus. It just isn't any other way. I think I wanted to say some more stuff, but I don't remember what it is, so we'll wrap it. We're going to do a song. Band, you guys guys can come out and clean the stage up here. It's another song about just coming. And, you know, it's just, it's really that simple. To, To come to Jesus means I have to turn from all these trying to be righteous of my own and just by faith say, Jesus, you've done this for me. And I want to come into and under you. And if, and if, if you have understood that a little more clearly today and maybe you're saying, I, I don't know if I've ever really got this, it'd be a great morning for you to come and just pray with somebody. And so we're going to let the front be open again. This isn't exactly what you call an altar, but it's a place here. And as we're singing this last song, if you just want to Come on down and have somebody pray with you. Just come even during the song. You don't have to wait till afterwards. You can wait till afterwards too. But if, if you just want to say publicly in front of the body of Christ, I want to just make my commitment that says I'm going to turn from all of this and embrace Jesus by faith. I want to come into Him and receive Him coming into me. But before we do that, I want you to stand and we're going to do our motions one more time. All right, you ready? We try to be righteous. We try to be right. This is just the folly of sin. But if we understand that the righteousness of God has been revealed from heaven in the cross of Jesus Christ and it's an umbrella of righteousness to us providing our justification, our holiness, our redemption, then we can repent to faith. And we can move into Jesus Christ and under His protective umbrella and He gives us the spirit of Him living in us to compel us to live for His glory alone. Let's worship Him.